Uh, my name is Pastor Erin. I'm the director here at Emmaus. What's good? I got a chance to chill at SNU today. It was so much fun. First of all, SNU is like such an exercise because all day walking around. But it's a beautiful campus and everybody looked mad smart. <laughs> Just like I was looking at Rona, I was like, everyone looks really smart. Not, nothing, nothing on Yonsei. Y'all look smart too. I feel like I should go to Iwa next week and just come and hang out on the Iwa campus. But um, I'm just really excited for you guys to be here tonight. We have an incredible speaker. And um, I almost feel like he's all gassed right now because y'all, so many of y'all came. So I was turning to him. I was like, you're not that popular. <laughs> I'll play. He is. He is. He is an incredible uh, speaker. He used to be in your position. A couple of years back, he was an exchange student here at Yonsei University, and uh, God turned his life around. If you guys were here, uh, our, one of our first large groups, he spoke, and it was a powerful message. Um, yeah, a powerful message. And so I had to invite him back, give him another chance to just mess you guys up. So he is currently the campus pastor at Itaewon. Um, he is a pastor under New Philly, but he oversees all of the Itaewon campus and so we're just really excited that he's here today. So let's just give him a warm welcome, Pastor Marcus Corpening. What's up? I noticed that there are more of the African diaspora here. This go round, that's what I'm talking about. My peoples. No, we are all the same peoples in Christ. Amen. And besides, when I went, I went back home to North Carolina, where I'm from. Uh, ooh, no, anyone here from North Carolina? Maggie, yes, what I'm talking about. Oh, and in the back too. All right, we doubled. Yes, Chapel Hill. Wait, you went to? You go to? You're a Tar Heel? I'm a Tar Heel. Yes. Man, God is moving in this ministry. God is moving. Oh, man, I forgot what I was about to say. But, yeah, I went back home. I went to North Carolina a couple weeks ago. And then when I came back to Korea, everyone was like, Marcus, I saw pictures of you with your family. You're black? I was like, really? Like, really? You just found that out. No, but I'm so excited to be here again with you guys. Uh, when I was here earlier in the semester, there were a lot of, I've seen, I'm seeing right now a lot of new faces, but God moved very powerfully last time I was here, and I'm really excited for what he has for us tonight. Uh, usually, Pastor Aaron makes me perform something. Um, but I don't, I don't know, I may have performed everything I got. <laughs> And so, uh, yeah, so I do spoken word and a little bit of rap here and there. I know it seems a little stereotypical, but it's fine. And, uh, and so, yeah, um, Lord, I need direction, an inflection of your connection, essence of affection. The fire up in me is burning like it's convection. Selection that's growing in me like it's conception. Uh, 
cut the umbilical cord because it's his form that's living in my spiritual core. He took the decor of living in deplore, exchanged galore that he adored, carrying all my sores. He neosporined all my irritation so that today's son, there's no condemnation. Romans 8, 1, the affirmation, I have a new life because of the son's propitiation. Okay, that's all I can remember right now. I'm going to be honest. It's mad hot up here. Like, I was like, man, my right guard just went left. Like, like the speed, the old spice is not, it's old, older. So, you know, don't be, uh, you know, don't be thrown off by that if I'm sweating a bit up here. It's natural. Before we get started, I want to pray for us and we're going to get into the word. Father, I thank you for Emmaus. I thank you, Lord, that Emmaus is not just a ministry, it's a movement. And I thank you, Lord, that Emmaus and every single person that is here tonight, God, is meant to take your name and your glory out into the nations. They're meant to take it out into the campus. They're meant to take it to the international house. They're meant to take it to their friends and their family, God. And they're meant to change the world, God. And Lord, it's... Father, I thank you that it's not a small saying, God, to say that every person in this room can change this world, God, because, Lord, your spirit lives inside of each one of them. So, Father, I pray that tonight, God, as the word goes out, Lord, may your people, God, be inspired. May they rise up, God. May they take their place, God. May they see who they really are in you, God. That, Lord, that this campus would be changed, that SNU would be changed, that Iwa would be changed, God, that Korea and the America and wherever they're from, God, all over, God, that, Lord, that the nations would be changed for your glory. I bind the thief that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And, Father, we thank you that tonight is going to bear a harvest. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 You know that each and every one of you, God has mighty plans for your life. And one of the biggest lies that the enemy tells us is that, um, you know, that's good for someone else, but not for me. You know, that person sitting next to me, you know, they're going to do some really great things. But me, uh, you know, I'll I get a house, picket fence, have my kids, make sure to have something left over for, the, for the, my kids and their kids. And then I'll die. And that's it. Someone else will change the world, you know. I'm not like Steve Jobs. I'm not like Bill Gates. But you are like Jesus. And in Ephesians, it says, chapter 3, it says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. When we were praying earlier, when our sister Sarah was up here and she was leading prayer powerfully, the word that God kept speaking to me was like, Tell them that they can do immeasurably more than what they they ask or imagine tell them god tell them that god has put his spirit inside of them and they can do crazy things for jesus do you believe it say amen Amen. tonight i want to ask you a question are you a heretic are you a heretic do you know what heretic means you ever heard of the word heretic i'll spell it for some of you because you're like heretic It's H-E-R-E-T-I-C, heretic. And the word, the definition in Merriam-Webster is a dissenter from established religious dogma. That means it's someone who goes against an established religion or established way, way of thinking, an established pattern 
It's a person who decides that they're going to go against it. A person who is a nonconformist. We all hate to conform, right? A person who does not conform to a generally accepted pattern or thought or action. Are you a heretic? I want to tell you something about heretics. Heretics change the world. Heretics, they they go out and they go against things that have been established for years and years and years, but no longer have any life to them. Heretics, they go out and they can change the entire course of an area, a region, even a nation. Are you a heretic? Heretics are crazy. But they believe in something that is greater than themselves. Is that you? Are you a heretic? I know immediately when I say heretic, some of you guys are thinking like, no, I am not a Jehovah's Witness. I do not be going two by two, knocking on people's doors. You know, no, I'm not Mitt Romney. I'm not Joseph Smith. I'm not Mormon. I went there. I'm sorry. Tonight, I'm going to go there multiple times. All right. I'm just going to do it. You know, everyone wants to be different. Everyone wants to be different. Everyone wants to stand out. Everyone wants to stick out and be unique, right? There's this current like Hyundai commercial. It's like, you, eunuch. But instead of saying unique, they say eunuch. Do you know what a eunuch is? Mm. I was watching that commercial. I was like, oh, no. Why do they keep saying the word? I don't want to be a eunuch. I don't think any of us want to be eunuchs, but we want to be unique, right? Every time I walk down the street, especially when I was walking down the street here in Shinchon, I was noticing that every person I walked by, they all, it was like they were trying so hard to be different. But you know, if everyone's trying so hard to be different, you end up all looking the same. You know, if everyone is going out and rebelling, If everyone is going out to the bars and getting drunk, if everyone is having sex outside of marriage, if everyone is rebelling against their parents, it's not rebellion anymore. It's conformity. It's the established religious dogma of the day. I want to tell you, Christianity is not the religion of the world anymore. The Christianity that we see in the Bible, that we read in the 66 books of the Old and New Testament, it's not what we see in the world today. Somebody may have told you that everywhere there are Christians, but that's a lie. You know, today, more Christians have been killed than any other time in human history. If you go in America and and went back home and I was realizing that people are saying they're Christian, but no one's really Christian. No one really believes in Jesus. No one really follows him. They, they say they do, but they don't live it. They come out because they know their parents will check. Or their friends will. But they're, they're still, they're living this other life. Maybe they're devoting themselves to money. Or to sex or to trying to accumulate power or safety or comfort or they're trying to find a way to amass this life that they want. And ultimately, that's what they worship. 
That's what so many people worship. When you walk down the street, you find out that that's really the established religion of the day. So are you a heretic? I want to tell you about some heretics. There's this one guy. He was the craziest heretic of all time. This man was so crazy. He was so out there that people spat at him when he walked down the street. I know you think that some people don't like you. You know, somebody looks at you wrong. You're like, why they mean mugging? You know, why are they looking at me like that? But have you ever had anyone spit on you? Confession time, actually. <laughs> I got into a fight one time. And I actually spat on someone. <laughs> it was a guy. It was a guy. If, if I would have said a girl, you probably would have got up and cut me. <laughs> Pastor Aaron. It's like the lowest thing you could possibly do, right? This guy, he was so crazy. He was so out there that even the people that followed him tried to rebuke him. At one point, he had a thousand, thousands and thousands of people that followed him. But he got up and he said something one time and everyone left. He was such a heretic. He was so crazy that everyone wanted to kill him. And eventually they did. And what's his name? Jesus. Jesus was a heretic. Jesus said some crazy things. Do you read your Bible? At least on your iPhone, do you read it? He told them one time, he got up and he said, check it out. Check it out, followers. If you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood you will have nothing no place in me if pastor Aaron would get up and say that all of y'all would leave except for y'all that went and saw twilight y'all be like okay let me say something about that real quick You know, in the Bible, God specifically forbade the drinking or eating of blood. He, he specifically told the people in the Old Testament, he said, do not ever drink blood because that's what the pagans do. And that there's life in the power of the blood. And so Satan took that and then he perverted it and he came up with these concepts called vampires. <laughs> you know why? Because that's what all the pagan religions were doing. They would sacrifice and they drink the blood and they cover themselves with blood and then and that's how they would worship their idols. Satan masquerades as an angel of light. That's just about twilight real quick. All right, anyways. But Jesus was not talking about vampires. He was speaking metaphorically. But when he said that, everyone left. When Jesus walked down the street, he would heal people. He would set people free. He would walk up to them and he would find out their condition. He'd lay his hands on them or he'd just speak to them. In a moment, they'd be healed. People would see that and they'd be like, what the heck? This man is crazy. This man is, we need, the Pharisees were like, we need to kill him. He was a heretic. There was this guy by the name of John the Baptist. John the Baptist, this man, okay, he was a heretic. If we saw John the Baptist walking down the street today, none of us would talk to him. He was wearing camel hair. It was not a mink coat. It was not Versace. It was camel hair. No one wears camel hair today. Homie ate locusts. You ever think about that? Like, <laughs> dip that in some honey. Like, he's weird. He's crazy. 
John the Baptist. People looked at him. They didn't want anything to do with him. They were like, this man, he's a heretic. He's crazy. But what was more crazy about John the Baptist wasn't the way he looked or the way he dressed, because I've seen people in Hongdae that dress that way. (laughs) Y'all know who I'm talking about. What was real crazy was his message. He stood up. He was standing in the wilderness, and he said, repent for the kingdom is at hand. Repent for the kingdom of God is near. You know, that word repent is a Greek word. It's metanoia. Everyone say metanoia. Uh, come on, y'all educated folk. Y'all can say it better than that. Metanoia. Metanoia. The word repentance, you know what it means? It doesn't mean to come to the altar and say, Jesus, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Many of us, we think that's what repentance means. Repentance actually means to change your thinking. So what John the Baptist was doing was he was going before people who had believed a certain doctrine for thousands of years. And he stood up and he said, check it out. You all need to change your mind. You need to change your thinking. You need to change your doctrine. You need to change everything because this guy who's coming right now, he is going to change everything. You got to change your thinking. John the Baptist was such a heretic that that ultimately his head was cut off and put on a platter. That's crazy. Are you a heretic? Some of y'all thinking, no. (laughs) i tell you about some other guys, guy by the name of Daniel. He was a heretic. Joseph, a heretic. Moses, right? You know, we all seen Prince of Egypt, that movie, right? So we all think of Moses with Mariah Carey singing in the background. (laughs) And we think that Moses, oh, this is so awesome. Like, I want to be like Moses. You know, Moses was a king. He was he was royalty. He killed someone. Okay, that's step one. Anyone wanting to follow a murderer? Like, really? But then he goes out into the desert, goes into the wilderness, and then he decides to come back and lead a slave revolt. You ever think about that? Moses came and he got all the slaves together. He got all the millions of Hebrews who were serving as slaves. And he said, check it out. We're all going to be free by the end of the week. He was crazy. He was a heretic. Why am I saying this to you? Why am I talking to you right now about being a, a heretic? Because many of you, when you go home, You've got like how many more? Three more? This is the third. You got two more after this. You're going to go back home or you're going to leave this meeting tonight or you're going to go and you're going to talk to people and you're going to go to people and you're going to talk about the change that God's done in your life. Or maybe you won't even say anything. Maybe they'll notice that you're different. And then the first thing I'm not prophesying, but I'm telling you that a lot of times what happens is we go back home and we're completely changed and God's done an amazing thing. But everyone before knows the old us. Everyone outside these walls knows a you that may be in chains or maybe a you that's in bondage. And they look at you and they say. "Uh, I think that's all in your head. Uh, I don't know if that's real. Or you talk to your parents and you tell your parents, God's been doing such amazing things in my life. Do you know what God has done? And maybe for some of you, your parents aren't so cool with it. Maybe God's been changing your life so radically that he's calling you to do some amazing things for him. I know every single one of you, he's doing that. But in order for you to step into that, you got to be willing to be a heretic. You got to be willing to be different. 
You've got to be willing to be unique. Not a eunuch, but unique. <laughs> I want to tell you about some heretics in the Bible. Their names were Peter and John. I want you to turn to the book of Acts chapter 4. You know, like I said, when I started praying, Emmaus is not just a ministry. It's not it's not a Sunday service that you go to and then you have a good time and then you go home. That's not the point. The whole point is for a fire to be lit in you and then you take that fire and it creates greater fire someplace else. The whole point is for you to come and for a movement to be started that not just a movement here at Yonsei or at SNU or at Iwa, but a movement that would go all over the nations. Maybe the campus that you're from, hopefully UNC. Hey. But you've got to be willing. To be different, you've got to be willing to be a rebel. You've got to be willing to be a heretic, because if not. Then we walk down the street and we're we're exactly like everyone else. We're going to look at Acts chapter four. Like I said, and we're going to read through it. We're going to go through this chapter together and I'm going to give you three characteristics or three questions that I want you to ask yourself tonight. The first question I want you to ask yourself tonight is, are you willing to annoy or anger in order to inspire? Acts chapter four, verse we're going to read just verses one to one to four right now. I'm going to take one verse. You take the second and then we'll, we'll alternate until we read from verses one to four. And as they were speaking to the people, the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them. And they arrested them, oh snap, and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. I want to give you some context. What had happened was that there were these 12 guys, these 12 men that followed Jesus. And they were the apostles, right? They were his disciples. And what happened was. After Jesus was crucified and as after he resurrected, he came to them and he gave them a charge and he and then he ascended into heaven. And before before he ascended, what happened was that these 12 guys, they were a bunch of wimps. Let me be real. They followed him. They hung out with him. They went to his prayer meetings and fell asleep. You know how that is. You're at the prayer meeting. You're, you're listening to a sermon about are you a heretic and you start to fall asleep. And there and then all of a sudden the Holy Spirit comes upon them and it completely changes them. Now, all of a sudden, they're not scared of people. They're not walking around just deserting Jesus every chance they get. But now they're standing up and they're they're speaking the word boldly. Now, all of a sudden, they're laying their hands on the sick and seeing people well. All of a sudden, they're not even speaking to some people. They're just walking by and people are getting healed. It's, that's crazy. Just walk by someone and all of a sudden, I'm well. You ever you ever seen 
a healing breakout. I've heard that in Emmaus this semester, there's been tons of healings. There's been tons of people that have been getting healed, been getting set free. It's, I'm over at Itaewon. I'm like, Lord, bring them here. <laughs> and so they're doing all these miraculous things. But all of a sudden, these group know, known as the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they had some jacked up names. Like, that's the name you chose for yourself, Sadducee. <laughs> and they find out. They find out that all these things are happening and that you have this group of guys that's going against the religious order of the day. And so what they do is they they get greatly annoyed. They get annoyed. It says it in the Bible. They're they're annoyed. You know, the Bible has a lot of different language in it. You actually read it. You find God's cool with a lot of different uh, emotions and things that happen in human nature. It says that they were greatly annoyed because they were teaching people about Jesus and so what they did was they arrested them. They brought them in. Them in. But even though they had arrested them, 5,000 people got saved. Imagine 5,000 people getting saved here at Yonsei. Imagine 5,000 people getting saved in your hometown. Imagine your entire family getting completely turned over and starting to have experience revival. You know, when I went back home, my mother, she did not know the Lord. And then two years ago, I led her to Christ. But during those two years, her, her faith has been a struggle. It's been like up and down. I talked to her one day. I'm like, Mom, how you doing? She's like, praise the Lord. Everything's great. I call her the next week. She's like, everything sucks. Everything's bad. I'm like, Mom, what's going on? See, her faith was just up and down, up and down. But then I went back this time, and, and she's experiencing revival. I went back this time, and now my whole family is starting to turn their hearts to Jesus. I went back and all my friends that I partied with when I was a college student, they all got saved. I was like, snap, God is real. And they were surprised. I was, they were like, aren't you a pastor? I was like, yeah, but I realized it again. Some of the stuff we did, I did not know. Wow, God is real. You know, and but what happened and even in my story was that God called me to come to Korea and he's called me to come, come and be different, to be a heretic, to look different. I look different, obviously, to be different, to go against the culture of this nation, to go against the culture of what Satan has established and to begin to establish something different. But the problem for many of us is that we don't ever step out the boat. We don't ever step out to do what God is calling us to do because we're afraid that we're going to offend someone. We don't tell our friends about what Jesus has done in our life. We don't speak in the power and the testimony that God has given us because we're afraid they may get mad at us. We don't tell our family about what God has done because we're afraid mom and pops may not like it too much. But see, a heretic's different. A heretic realizes that they don't mind offending some people if it means that the people that God has called them to get changed. They don't mind stepping out and being offensive at times if it means that the people that God has wanted them to impact get changed. Last, what was it, Friday, you guys had that nefarious screening, right? And I'm sure as you guys watched it, your heart was stirring up for human trafficking. Stirring up for the cause of these women that are locked in bondage and locked in slavery. And many people, when they watch the movie, they, they have that response. Their heart gets stirred. They all of a sudden, they want to go out. What can we do? What can we do? But then the moment it becomes time to step out and do something, 
what, well, what would people say? What would people say if I actually step out and believe God for my destiny? What will people say if I actually begin to trust God with all my heart and mind and lean not on my own understanding? What will people say if I step out? I was realizing recently that most of us, we're not actually afraid of failing. It's not failing in life that we're afraid of. It's we're afraid of what other people will say when we fail or if we fail. God, I know that you've given me this mighty call. God, I know that you're, you've put this destiny. I have these dreams inside of me. I know, God, that you want to bring change in all these areas. But, God, if I step out and it doesn't happen, what will people say? So instead, we don't do anything. I know I should speak up. I know I should step up. But if I do and I don't make it, what, what will people say? Before coming to Korea, after I graduated from UNC, I had a choice. I could stay in North Carolina. I could get a job and I could work there doing web development and stay at the church I was at. And it would be cool. And like I would continue to stay there and disciple. Or I could just move to Korea and teach in a hagwon, in an academy, teaching, some, teaching little kids, little Korean kids for eight hours a day. And then hope that at some point I would do ministry. I wanted to stay. I wanted to stay in North Carolina. And the reason I wanted to stay in North Carolina was because I ultimately, it wasn't, I love kids. So it wasn't like, I don't want to teach no kids. Like, I don't like Korean kids. I think Korean kids, the little ones, man, they're so cute. I was like, snap, I want one. Like, like half of one, man. Hey. Okay, I'm being careful. I'm tiptoeing. <laughs> but then as I prayed about it and as I asked God about it, and I knew that God was putting certain things in my heart. I knew that God had been speaking to me as I was in Korea before and in North Carolina. And then what came to my mind was ultimately I was afraid of disappointing my family, my friends, and the people that God had placed around me. And that's why I wanted to stay in North Carolina. I knew if I stepped out and I actually trusted God, God would show me things that were beyond my wildest dreams. And I've seen that. I've seen the blind see. I've seen the deaf hear. I've seen some crazy things. But I was afraid that what if I step out and I fail? Are you willing to annoy, anger, disappoint people? In order to experience your destiny and maybe even to inspire some others. The second thing. I want you to we're going to look we're going to read just from verses verses seven to verse 12. What happens is they're arrested and they're brought before the high priest. These these apostles, these disciples, they were put in jail. But even though they're put in jail, they didn't care. They continued to preach the word. And now all of a sudden, all these people began to believe it. It says 5,000, but really it's 13,000, including women and children. And now they're brought before the high priest. They're put on trial. You know, the apostles had a record. You know, Jesus had a record. Jesus got arrested. If you got arrested for Jesus, most of us be in the prison like crying. <laughs> Call my mama. 
I don't want to take a shower. I don't want to eat this food. <laughs> they had records. They were crazy. You know, one of our, well, a couple of our pastors have records. <laughs> Pastor Aaron got a record. <laughs> I don't have a record. I run too fast. There were so many moments. <laughs> I was at football moves. I was running to the woods. I was just like, I closed my eyes. I wouldn't smile. <laughs> you ain't going to see me. I ain't got a record. Clean slate. It's okay to laugh. If, if the African diaspora, if we all laughing, you can laugh. <laughs> to my people that aren't laughing, I'm sorry. <laughs> they were arrested. They were put on trial. And they were put before the high priest. And they were put before the leaders of the day. And here's what happened. Let's read. We're going to read from verses 7 to 13. How about I take two, you take two. All right. So and we're just going to read through it. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired by what power, by what name did you do this? Then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit said to them, rulers of the people and elders. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now, when they saw the let's read it all together, that last verse. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. The first question is, are you willing to annoy or anger in order to inspire? The second is, what is your cornerstone? What is your foundation? What are you standing upon? You know, if you're building a house, you build it first with the cornerstone, right? It's the stone by which you lay the foundation and every other stone is, is brought up. It's made to look just like the cornerstone and the cornerstone is what sets the foundation for the house. If you have a cornerstone that is not good, if you have a cornerstone that is weak or fragile or if the cornerstone is taken away, the entire structure falls. What is your cornerstone? You know, the cornerstone, like I said, is the central piece of any foundation. And it's the one thing that if you take away, everything crumbles. I want to ask you, what is the one thing that if it were taken away from you, your life would crumble? Is it your family? Your friends? Is it the approval of people around you? If all your friends reject you, does your life fall apart? Do you get depressed? Is it money? If all of a sudden you have no more money or your parents stop giving you money, 
or you no longer have a job or you no longer have an education, does your life fall apart? Is it sex? Is it alcohol? Is it debauchery? If you can no longer do those things, what happens to your life? Why do I ask that? Because whatever is your cornerstone in your life is your price tag. If it's the approval of your family and friends, then when that is shaken or when that's taken away, you stop talking about Jesus. If it's money, the moment that crumbles, we, we stop talking about Jesus. If it's our education, all of a sudden we stop talking about, we stop being that heretic. We stop being that person that's different. What's your cornerstone? Back at UNC, I had this disciple, his name is Michael. And Michael, Michael became a believer six months before I met him. It was so, our stories are so similar. He became a believer six months before I met him. And then I discipled him for about six months. And then I came back to Korea. But during that six months when I discipled him, he became so on fire for Jesus. It was crazy. Like he would go on the bus stops. He would sit there at the bus. He would go on the buses and he would sit there and he would ask Jesus, who, who do you want me to encourage today? He would write down a note, walk up to the person and say, God bless you. Give him the note. And the people would start crying right there on the bus. He would evangelize everywhere he went. He was like on fire. Like I would talk to him and I would go and repent. I was like, you are crazy. He was like, you know what, God, I want to go as far as you're calling me to go. I want to impact as many people for your name as I can possibly do. I know that Jesus, if I go and do it for you, is going to last forever. If I do it for myself, eventually it's going to fall away. But if I do it for you, it's going to last forever. So he goes out and he's doing all these things. But all of a sudden, his father, his father calls him. His father was Buddhist. His father said, Michael, stop everything you're doing right now. I don't want to hear another word about this Jesus. I don't want to hear about you going out on the street. And I don't want to I don't want you to do anything else. And to make sure that you don't do it until you stop, I'm taking away all money. I'm no longer paying for your schooling. And you're no longer welcome to come home. When he told me that at that moment, I thought about what I would do. If my mama called me, she said, Marcus heard about this Jesus thing stop it right now and she was like you're not welcome home everything that I've he even said you know what you're no longer even my son he completely disowned him but Michael said you know what that's fine you're not my cornerstone Christ is you're not my foundation Jesus is and God took care of him. God took care of him. And now, and all of a sudden, he was, yeah, he had to get a job. But God took care of all the details. There's so many supernatural testimonies of people not even knowing about his situation, walking up to Michael and saying, here, God told me to give you this. 
be like, money. Or God wants me to encourage you in this way. All these crazy things started to happen. But as this happened, what else started to happen is that Michael was setting tons of people free. Michael was going out on the street and talking to people and he would have crazy testimony after testimony after testimony after testimony. Because he couldn't be bought out. He couldn't be bought out by the approval of his parents. He couldn't be bought out by the approval of his friends. He couldn't be bought out. Even by the pastor at the church that he was at. His pastor came up to him and said, Michael, this Holy Spirit stuff isn't of God. It's like, okay. It says Holy Spirit just in this chapter. Like, where are you getting at? What's your cornerstone? What your cornerstone is, it's probably as far as you're willing to go to bring about change. And when you think about it, that's kind of sad. Saying, God, this is actually how much I'm worth. When the Bible says that you're worth so much more. The Bible says that you were bought at a price. So many of us, we sell ourselves short for our looks or for our family or for the approval of man or for. And I'm not saying that your family's bad. Don't don't get that. Don't get that twisted. What if you lost all of that? Many of us, we in Korea, they trump up their self image. I got to look different. I got to look better. I got to have this. What if that's taken away? What happens then? See, for a heretic, their cornerstone is Christ, their salvation in nothing else. They realize that the, the foundation they stand on is Jesus. See, for the apostles, what happened was they looked at them. Can we cut off the heat? Like I'm saying, the right guard is turning left more. It's unsure. For the apostles, they stood up and they were speaking the word with boldness, crazy boldness. And when they looked at them, when the Pharisees looked at them, it says they noticed that they were uneducated. The word for that is actually idiotes. It's where we get the word idiot, (laughs) meaning they looked at them and recognized that they were idiots. They looked at them and said, they're stupid by our standards. And common men, that meant that they were poor. See, their foundation wasn't their education. Their foundation wasn't their wealth or their money or acquiring money. Their foundation wasn't that. Their foundation, what they recognized, what stood out about them was that they had been with Jesus. The, like I said, I started out saying that the greatest heretic, the craziest heretic was Jesus. The one who walked out and did the most amazing things was Jesus. And when the, the Pharisees looked at them, they saw Jesus. When they looked at them, they saw the cornerstone. When they looked at them, they recognized that the foundation wasn't money. The foundation wasn't their education. The foundation wasn't anything that they could muster up with their own strength. Their foundation, their salvation was all in Jesus. That's where the power was at. When people look at you, they see Jesus. That's your cornerstone. The last thing. 
Are you willing? Are you willing to be burned at the stake? That's morbid, right? <laughs> oh. Are you willing to go all the way and pay whatever cost? What happens in the rest of this story was that the disciples, the apostles, they they went out and they were. And like I said, they were arrested. They were put on trial. And then after that, after they were put on trial, they threatened them. They said, check it out. OK, we're going to let you go because you you, you apostle guys, y'all kind of crazy. Y'all get in prison and the church gets bigger. And so we think it's better to just let you go. But they threatened them. And they say, check it out. If you say anything else about this Jesus guy, we're going to kill you. But it's crazy, the apostles' response. They say, you know, you can do to us whatever you want to do. But we're going to continue to talk about Jesus. We're going to continue to tell people about what he's done in our lives. And then here's the craziest thing that happens after that. They go back and they meet up together. Now, usually if. I'm thinking, like I said, I don't have a record, but if I did and I went to jail and I was and I was threatened by the authorities. Now, I've been threatened before. I've been pulled over in North Carolina. You know, it's like going 35 in a 35 zone. And (laughs) sir, you've been going way too fast. Is this your car? I'm like, what? What? Here's my registration. (laughs) Sir, you're going to have to get out the vehicle. I was like, well, okay. It's my inhaler, you know. They get threatened, they get arrested, they get put on trial, and then they get threatened. And what they do is they go back and they go to the prayer meeting. And, it's, and if I would have went home in that moment, I'd probably been crying. Mama, do you know what they did? <laughs> they arrested me. They put me on trial. And then they told me if I keep talking about Jesus, they're going to kill me. I'm not saying that that's what you're going to go through. But many of us go through much less and we give up our witness. One person looks at us the wrong way and we give up our witness. They went to the prayer meeting and you know what they did? They started talking about what happened and then a scripture came to mind. And they realized that God had actually spoken to them previously that they were going to go through some trials. That they were that whenever they decided to step outside of the boat, whenever they decided to take a chance, whenever they decided that they were going to step out for Christ, they were going to experience some things. But instead of taking that as a sign that God wasn't with them. They took it as a sign that they were on the right track. Many times when we first take a step towards what God is calling us to, when we take a step first in the right direction and we experience some resistance, we immediately assume that it's the wrong place to be. I start, I just, you know, I just went to Emmaus for the first time last week and this past week has sucked. You know, I used to be on staff with Emmaus. I'd hear that all the time. You know, you come out to the retreat and then the next week, it's like the worst week of your life. And you're like, what is going on? I'm never going to come out again. Or if I do, it's going to be very sparingly. We take a step in the right direction or we commit ourselves fully to what God is doing. And all of a sudden we experience struggle. And usually we interpret that as we're going in the wrong direction. But in that moment, they understood that even that that resistance was a sign from God that they're heading in the right direction. 
They understood that the resistance that they were facing was not a sign that they needed to give up, but they needed to press in. At the prayer meeting, they had already seen signs and wonders. They had already seen miracles. They had already seen healing. They had already seen God do amazing things in their life. They experienced some resistance. And this is what they said. All right, guys, we need to call out for more signs and wonders. We need to cry out for more boldness. We need to cry out for more of God's power to move because I know because we know that God has not just put us in a ministry, but in a movement. We know that God has not put us here just to sit in a service, but to go out and change the world. We know that God has called us here not just to sit here for 90 minutes, but to go out and change our family, to go out and change our campus, to go out and change our friends, to go out and change everything around us and to be different. And this resistance is not a sign that everything's gone wrong. This resistance is a sign that everything has gone right. Are you willing to be a heretic? See, in that moment, when they set their mind towards God and they said, you know what, God, I'm going to believe that you can do more through me than I've seen even in my past. I'm going to believe, God, that that you can do immeasurably more than what we ask or imagine. I'm going to believe, God, that... My cornerstone is Christ, and therefore I can't be bought out, and therefore I can go out and see more signs and wonders, see miracles through my hands, see the power of God go out, and I can do it boldly. When they did that, you know what happened? The Holy Spirit came. The power of God came, and it says that it shook the place that they were in. They were in a room, probably seating this many people as well. And when they begin to decide in their hearts that they were going to live differently. All of a sudden, God's power came. All of a sudden, God's supernatural came. And then they went out. And not only did they see just the miracles they saw before, but they saw even crazier things. Every single one of these apostles that were in this room, they went out. Some went as far as India. They went to Europe. They went into Africa. They went all over the world. And they changed the world. The reason you're sitting here today is because these men decided to be heretics. And I want to tell you that there are thousands, not just hundreds. There are thousands of people that are waiting on you to be different. There are hundreds of thousands of people for many of you that are waiting on you to decide to be different. So are you willing? Let us pray. Before I came, I was praying. I just felt like God was saying to tell you guys that you can change your campus, to tell you that you can change your family, you can change your situation, you can change all these things, even your friends, that you're not powerless, but there's an all-surpassing power that lives in you. 
And even as Sarah was saying, if you believe the word, if you believe it. There's power. There's power to change everything. What I want us to do right now is I want you to begin to pray. And for some of you. For some of you, Christ. For you hasn't been your cornerstone. There have been other things that you've been relying on. And even as I was speaking, you were thinking about if that was taken away or if this person. If this person abandoned me or if this happened or if this happened, then everything would fall apart. But the truth of the matter is, is that the worst of things could happen and you won't fall apart because Jesus is your foundation. He's your cornerstone. And he's marked you to go out and to set the captive free. To bring freedom to others. So I want us to do right now is I want you to pray and I want us to begin to pray and, and I want you to I want you to ask God for more. I want you to tell God, Lord, that these things I've been relying on, this isn't my foundation, that you are my foundation. And then I want you to ask God for more. God, pour more of your spirit out over me than I've ever experienced before. God, pour more of your glory out over me. God, stretch out your hand, God. I'm not going to lay hands on you. No one's going to lay hands on you. God's going to stretch out his hand. And I want you to begin to ask God, God, show me more. Give me more than I've experienced before. Lord, use more than I've ever seen before. And give me boldness, God, to be that person, Lord. Right now, come on, let's begin to pray.